This is WCM's Park Update, a weekly show covering the outdoor hospitality industry hosted by Ben Quiggle and Mike Gast. During each episode, you'll hear from special guests and campground experts on topics that will help your park flourish. WCM's Park Update is a production of Woodall's Campground Magazine. Hi, I'm Ben Quiggle, editor of Woodall's Campground Magazine, and this is another episode of WCM's Park Update. Of course, my esteemed colleague, Mike Gast, former vice president of communications at KOA is here, and he's loving the Nebraska weather, so he loves no. it. <laughs> Hawaii's in a rearview mirror. He's in Nebraska night now. I don't know. What do they call Nebraska people who live in Nebraska? Nebraskans. Nebraskans? Okay. Corn huskers? Yeah. I'm, still going through, I'm still going through my bags looking for stray sand just so I can... Okay. Uh, Rub it between my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> and then our guest today is Tim Murphy, um, founder of Emberglow Outdoor Resort. And I guess, um, Tim, I just saw you a couple of weeks ago at the Carolinas Association of RV Parks and Campgrounds Conference in beautiful Myrtle Beach. It was great weather when you were down there, maybe a little cooler um, one of the days, but great weather nonetheless, I guess. So That's right. it's, good, you get- it's a good time to be in. Uh... Myrtle Beach, no no crowds, yeah. and it's not too hot. <laughs> <laughs> and and did you get to see the Chinese balloon get shot down? Because I know uh, some people on the takeaway tours were able to see that. Were you one of them? I was one of them. Yeah, I was on the takeaway tour, and um, All right. you know they're they're giving us a great tour of, of their park and. Um, uh, we're just about to look at some new cabins and, uh, you know, all that. We could see the planes flying around the balloon and um, uh, the poor, poor lady giving the tour. I mean, she she just lost <laughs> all of us because we're all staring up at this balloon and then poof, that, shot, shot down. We're like, oh, so that just happened above our head. OK, <laughs> yeah, wow. we didn't uh, we didn't advertise that on the takeaway tour. But, you know, if we known, maybe maybe we should have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I. I didn't know that D. Whitting had that kind of pull, you know, like the Chinese right. government was so concerned about her meeting that they needed to send a spy balloon, but I guess so. <laughs> top top secret stuff right yeah, there. Yeah, top secret stuff. So, um, but uh, Tim, I've uh, met you a few times at, you know, obviously at the Carolinas, but you go to the Arvik conferences. I don't know if you go every year, but mm-hmm. um, you, you've gone to at least a couple, I believe. And it, um, it's been great getting to talk with you i guess i just wanted to up front just ask a little bit about the resort you know what do you guys offer um you guys opened around 2019 right or 2018 uh, march 2020 okay we grand opened march 4th 2020 and then two weeks later we grand closed for covid (laughs) great timing which is a it was a very exciting time in my life (laughs) So, so what were you doing tim before camping um, I actually, I worked for um, Habitat for Humanity with the Restores, uh, travel around the country, opening, relocating, um, um, and just helping Restores with their uh, with their business model and kind of how to operate better. And so I was able to take sort of the, the business acumen I, I learned from the doing that consulting um, and learned a new industry and, and then got into this and kind of meshed up the two and that's that's kind of how it all came together. So when did the process start of of planning this? Yeah, <laughs> uh, I was still working um, for Habitat at the time, and just in my free time, 
doing research. Um, the very first thing I did was, uh, as I was had this like kind of idea for something, uh, I saw something advertised for something called the Outdoor Hospitality Conference, and I thought that might be a good place to start. So uh, that was that year. It was actually in Las Vegas. Uh, so packed my bags, went to Las Vegas to learn. Um, something about outdoor hospitality and just had my eyes opened up to what the potential was um, for this industry. RVs wasn't even, wasn't even like a a real big part of it originally. Um, But seeing what the potential was out there and what a cool culture um, the industry had, I was like, okay, good. I'm glad I went because I learned a ton. (laughs) Yeah. And made great connections at that. There's people I met at that, that I, um, I'm still friends with now and still, you know, uh, you know, give a call and see how things are going and, and, you know, trade, trade ideas and bounce things off each other. It's amazing. The different types of people you meet too, yeah. like yourself, you know, you have an interesting history, Habitat for Humanity. You know, we met, um, the, the one lady, I can't remember her name, uh, worked for NASA, um and then you know i met mike and i had a pharmacist on the show a couple weeks ago and it's just been amazing just to see the different types of people and where they're coming from i've met a wife of a cookbook author new york times best-selling cookbook author at the glamping show so uh it's just incredible and that's kind of the neat part of the industry getting to see um, these different people and all their different perspectives and they bring so many different ideas it's really fascinating so on, on your website, Tim, you've got some property pre-construction pictures that were quite fascinating. It was it was definitely bare ground that you guys started with. And, and you weren't you weren't a North Carolinian. You were you were up in the in the northern climes too. So how did you decide on this piece of property? Yeah. So yeah, I did I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and then moved moved to Charlotte um around 20. Let's see, right around, yeah, right around 2002. Um, and then have been living in Charlotte working for Habitat. So I've been here for a little while, but about 20 years. And, um, you know, I, I actually, I was looking for a park. Um, I was looking for a park to buy um, and had one under contract. It fell through. And, um, you know, we kind of had a lot of time in, invested, money invested. Uh, and we had to make a decision whether we we'd keep going or, you know, kind of cut our losses and get out. And uh, just uh, kind of just, I think it was just meant to be, met a uh, a broker before that other contract had fallen out. And he said, hey, um, I've got a piece of property in the area. If anything happens with that, with that deal, I've got a piece of property would make a great campground. It's just a a, a 74 acre piece of property, been in this guy's family for, uh, since the thirties. And, uh, and I said, you know, I kind of took his card and okay, thanks, but I got this other deal going. Well, when that deal f- fell through, um, I realized I'd already done the, all the research on the area. I love the area. A lot of lot of uh, uh, opportunity there. There was a lot of long-term parks there, but there weren't any sort of weekend, um, week, week-long weekends kind of type places. So when that fell through, I gave that guy a call and said, all right, let's see what you got. And he showed me this gorgeous piece of property near Lake Lord, North Carolina. And uh, so we just got to, to, to draw and design and, and got going. And that was, oh man, we put the property under contract for a year and did all of our design, 
um, engineering, everything else. And then, um, and then we were under construction for a year. So from the time we put the property under contract to the time we opened, it was, it was two full years. That's, that's not bad. That's pretty fast. <laughs> Didn't feel fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from, from bare ground, that's a lot. That's a lot of investment. You know, that's a lot of, uh, of capital investment for sure to get everything yeah. up to running the, the, as far as you did by opening. And one of the things that struck me looking through your photographs is you've got a lot of different ways to camp there. That's right. We, yeah. um, one of the things that kind of picked up at that, uh, at, at that first conference and, and then conferences after that was, um, you know, kind of a lot of people had their different idea of what camping is. And, um, so I said, all right, so obviously RVs that that's, you know, an amazing part of this, uh, of this industry. And then, Tent camping is part of that. And then I said, hey, you know what? You know, the campground experience is a great experience, but not everyone is willing to sleep in a tent and not everyone owns an RV. So um, what else is out there? And I saw that there's uh lamping pods and yurts and tree houses and vintage trailers, all kinds of stuff. Um, and we decided to to dabble with a little bit of each of those to see what would be popular and that ended up being one of the things that was popular was the variety and we had people come back and depending on what kind of trip they're doing um they may um you know kind of we joke it's like collect a set they want to stay in all the different things we have and then other people yeah. when they come with their wife they like to stay in this thing and when they come with their you know the you know the kids um then they all like to stay in this unit so it's just kind of we've We've got a huge variety of, of things to stay in, and that's that's been really good for us. What what are some of the big draws for your campground? Like, what are some of the things that the campers really say, wow, we like this about your park, or this is why we came? Yeah, I'd say, um, you know, when, when you kind of think of camping, like in the sort of literal sense of camping, we, we try to stick as close to that as we could. Um, there are a lot of campground like campgrounds that you can drive your RV to that's more of a place to park and go visit things in the area or, um, you know, there's a billion amenities on site, almost almost amusement park like. And there's a lot of different great models out there, but our model is really we have large sites We're we're convenient to a number of uh, larger municipality uh, municipal areas, but we are in the middle of nowhere. We don't have, um, we have terrible, terrible cell service. Um, at night it gets, you know, hand in front of your face, dark. Uh, and we like that. That's kind of one of the reasons people come. Uh, we've got, we've got three natural creeks that originate sort of back in the woods on the property, starting to bubble out of the ground and the, all the kids like to play in that. And, you know, definitely coming out, having a campfire, uh, sitting under the stars. Um, we've got three miles of, of bike biking and hiking trails so it's really that sort of out that true like outdoor camping experience um sort of on your own level if it's you know in your rv or if it's in a tree house with air conditioning and heat and um plumbing um we have that and then kind of everything in between and um, people like that to be able to do the camping sort of on we kind of say it on on their own terms um and then also uh uh, we, we say it's like free range kids. And this is, you know, it's pretty common most campgrounds, right? Um, 
but you know, you get the kids come and they just run, they meet other kids. They're out playing in the woods. They're building forts. They're playing in the creek. They're not on tablets. They're not, um, you know, there's not a lot of like structured things that they're doing. They're just playing, which is awesome. And we love to see it. So is Wi-Fi still available there? It is. Yep. So um, we invested in the best Wi-Fi we can get there. And um, that is also how you make a phone call if you need to. You have to get on Wi-Fi calling and you use your phone, but it uses the Internet. Um, We don't have TVs in any units. We don't have cable. Um, If if you if there is something you really want to watch, you can you know bring a towel or a device. Everyone's got them and and watch um, watch something on your on your device using the Internet. Um, we've got, we do that like kind of freemium, premium thing, you know, we get, yeah. yep. uh, I think we do three up, three down for free. And if you want more than that, you, you pay for, for more internet. Um, yeah. but it's, so do so you, so are you, so are you seeing like working people show up at the park mm-hmm. or yeah. are you mainly just like a destination for like people who are trying to escape work, I guess? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny, a, l- a little bit of both. Um, on the weekends, definitely some people are like, my cell phone doesn't work here. And I am happy about that. And <laughs> um, this like literally unplug. Uh, and then since our internet is is really good, we have, um, uh, especially we, you know, not, not unlike anyone else, like during COVID, people started looking for places that internet worked well and they just come set up shop and stay for, you know, a few days and, you know, work in the morning um, and then, you know, be out playing in the afternoon with the kids. Um, and we're, that's actually one of our, one of our pushes this year, cause it was, um, it was successful during COVID and, um, we have, you know, everybody's always trying to fill weekday spots. So that's kind of one of our marketing pushes this year is, is, um, you know, go to internet, come hang out, work in the morning, play in the afternoon, that kind of thing. So, so you open the park right at the COVID time and i know we've seen a lot of parks and campgrounds just swell up with new campers and new rvers so has it been kind of difficult for you to gauge what a normal year kind of looks like and you know with the covid i mean are you getting to that point where you think maybe this is more of like what a normal year is going to be like for us yeah that's that's a great question we um, so especially with like with we have a lot of lodging, we have a 50-50 mix of RV sites and lodging. So with the lodging, when we first opened, we left three days in between each guest because no one knew anything at that point. So we wanted to make sure whatever whatever heebie-jeebies were in the air were had 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 died off by the time the next guest got in there. And then as we learned more, we said we dropped that down to one day, and then um, and then we started doing you know back back to back turns. But that was like a whole year of kind of weirdness and revenue lost and stuff. So we didn't really have any idea what that looked like. Um, and then last year felt like more of a, a real year. Um, and but you know, I think one of the best things that happened during COVID was there was a lot of people who either didn't consider themselves campers or were interested, but like needed that extra push to, to get them there. So it brought in a lot of new people to the industry. And I think a lot of those people that never in a million years considered themselves campers or RVers really enjoyed the experience and liked it. Um, so they, um, you know, they, they continue to do it, even though COVID's over and they can go to Disney and they can go to Europe and 
yeah. Florida, whatever, wherever they wanted to go, they can, they can, um, camping is still on the radar. I'd say just recently, the thing, at least personally, that, um, that I think we've learned is that, um, at least starting, starting a new business, you know, obviously it was super scary at first because, you know, we had to close, but then like, because camping was one of the few things you could do, we had this like huge surge and like we took off. Right. I mean, it was a weird way to open a yeah. business. But it was also worked in our favor and that like everybody was looking for some place to go. I'd say the thing that we've learned looking back at last year is that once we had a, we had sort of a false sense of security and that once Disney opened up and all these other places, we were competing. And I'd say last year we took our foot off the gas because we're like, hey, we're great. We're doing great. We got, we got people coming. The, uh, and by gas, I mean marketing, right? We were, we were, we were very reliant on our social media and a couple other things, but we're like, you know, that nah, we're great. We're filling up. We're doing. And then looking back um, like this year, as people have tons more options, um, we, we should have kept our foot on the gas with the, with the marketing. So that's kind of one of our big pushes this year is, is really focusing on our marketing again. And where's our, you know, uh, shoulder seasons, midweek kind of stuff. Um, and, um, not taking our eye off the ball on that one. So you mentioned you're, you're out in the middle of nowhere. What is staffing like? Is that, is that a benefit to staffing? Cause you, once you get in, you kind of have them trapped or is it all work campers? Uh, is, is staffing still an issue for you going into this year? It's a challenge. Yeah. Um, we've got some great folks and we've been able to um, hang on to some great folks. Um, but when we do, when we are in the process of, of hiring, it's more challenging because um, sort of the talent pool is just a lot more shallow. And we're in a county of only 18,000 people. So um, what we end up seeing a lot is uh, staff end up driving from, you know, 45 minutes away. But wow. in some cases it's normal because you're, everyone's used to driving far for everything. Um, but it, it definitely makes it a challenge. Right. And it also not, I mean, you should do this anyway, but it also makes you, um, extra critical of taking care of your people and, um, making yeah. sure that your reputation stays strong in the area. Cause all you need is one, you know, one employee have a bad experience and, um, you know, especially if it was like a legitimate, like something didn't go well and you didn't treat it, you didn't treat the situation well, well, that kind of, you know, spoils the pot, um, uh, in your area for hiring. And I, I feel like that's something we've been able to do pretty well is, um, you know, I, I, I haven't heard anyone, um, you know, bad mouthing working there. We still have good relationships, um, with, you know, most everyone who's, who's either, you know, worked there and took another job. And, um, I just, I, you know, it's one of those, like, you don't want to burn, burn bridges kind of thing. And, um, you know, uh, you know, everyone's got a friend or a brother or, a you know, uh, a classmate that, that might be interested in coming to work for you. So we found it really important to maintain sort of our reputation and our, um, relationships with the people who, who worked there, did a great job and left for, you know, whatever reason. So that, um, yeah. we still had that option. So have you tried work campers before? This is the first year we're trying work campers. Yeah. Um, we've got a husband and wife, um, both retired, um, air force. Um, and they're coming to, uh, let's see, I think we start next, next month to be on site. Um, uh, so yeah, I think, oh, that's cool. 
Um, we've heard good things about work campers. I've also heard like challenges with work campers. Um, husband's great, wife is terrible, vice, <laughs> vice versa. And so I was kind of hesitant to go down that road, but um, so far, um, you know, we're, we're really excited about trying trying out um, some work campers. It really, I think, helps us uh, not only with like the day-to-day tasks, but also my general manager who's there, you know, who's in charge of the after hours number and all that stuff, he can leave <laughs> and go do something and not, uh, you know, be, be tethered to the place. So yeah, so you, really and, you and your family are living on site, correct? We aren't anymore. The first oh, okay. two years I, uh, I lived on site, um, did the, uh, operated the first two years and then hired a general manager last year. Um, who now he's on site and he's doing all the day to day and I'm working on, well, working on marketing right now. And, um, you know, kind of, as they say, working on the business, not in the business, which, mm-hmm. um, it's incredibly challenging to do both at the same time. So that's, it's, uh, it's my role now. So what is the staffing level there for, for a summer season? Yep. Um, all in, we are at about 12 and that's both full-time and part-time. Um, with all the lodging units, you need a good number of housekeeping. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's interesting and it's all these things you learn by, by doing right. Um, you know, you can have one great housekeeper or maybe two great housekeepers that can easily clean all 20 units, but can they clean them all in two hours or three hours and someone checks out at 11 and the next group checks in at you know, noon or one, whatever, whatever the, you know, the, the span of, of your, your turn is. And the answer is no, you know, even if, even if they're, you know, are the best housekeeper in the world and fast, you can't, you can't turn them all. So you end up having a whole bunch of um, sort of some full-time, some part-time that can expand and contract as, as you need them when you have a one, you know, a day that has a big turn. Um, and then, you know, they get, they get good at knowing, um, you know, it's kind of like in a restaurant, like what's the, uh, what's the, what's the equivalent of rolling napkins when there isn't something to turn, what's other work that can be done so that when they have those big turns, they're ready and can hit it hard. Um, so I'd say housekeeping is a, a big, is one of our bigger numbers. And then, you know, obviously grounds, you know, pick up some of the high school kids over the summer to mow and weed whack and keep the trails clear. And, you know, pool maintenance is just time consuming. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I'd say I'd say we're we kind of between twelve and fourteen at, at peak of um, full and part time staff. All right. Well, we have to take a break to recognize our sponsor, and we will be right back with Tim. So thanks. WCM's Park Update is being brought to you by Woodall's Campground Magazine. For over five decades, Woodall's Campground Magazine has aimed to provide park owners and operators with the relevant industry news they need to run their businesses more efficiently. As times have changed, so has Woodall's Campground Magazine. Besides just its print publication, which is distributed to more than 14,000 industry professionals every month, the magazine also reaches readers through its various social media platforms, including Facebook at Woodall CM, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Woodall's Campground Magazine also offers a daily e-blast, which highlights the top news from the industry. The best part? Everything we do is advertiser-supported and free to our readers. As the outdoor hospitality industry continues to grow at a rapid pace, it is important to stay up to date on trends and other relevant news. Subscribe to Woodall's Campground Magazine at woodallscm.com. 
Hi, welcome back to WCM's Park Update, and we are talking with Tim Murphy from Emberglow Outdoor Resort. And I guess, uh, Tim, how did you come up with the name Emberglow Outdoor Resort? Yeah, um, well, a few things. Uh, I wanted a name that uh, I didn't have to share. Uh, like it was a common name that um, I'd be confused yeah. because it's other things, so I wanted it to be original. Um, and, uh, you know, it was it was funny. It was on one of our, uh, one of our camping trips, um, and we were sitting around, um, and I realized that the best conversations are, it's not when the flames are early on in the night when the flames are high and just get a start, get started. The best conversations and the depth of, you know, that, of uh, kind of bonding with the community that you're, that you're there with is, is after after the big flames and after the the logs are are um you know are are hot coals at that point and it's the embers it's the hot it's yeah. the hot embers and that's when the the best you know sitting around the campfire that's when the best conversations are had and that's kind of what we what we came up with so tim you get a you get a lot of amenities there uh some of them passive in the sports fields gaga pits the the jump pillow what uh, that we all know that the, the worst thing a campground owner could do is stand still. So what's coming at, at Emberglow? You got to have a, a phase two, three, or four, wherever you're at. Yeah. What's next? Um, so short term, um, we've got a couple of like smaller like playground items that are going in. Um, we kind of have a uh, kind of free free range play, playground kind of where there's like just objects through the woods. Um, not one gigantic play structure, but a number of different things that kind of encourage kids to use their imagination and, and build things and use it differently. So we're adding some of that. Um, uh, more more long term, we just um, were almost almost complete with a, a master plan that um, we did with the environmental design group in um, out of Ohio. They came down. We walked every inch of the property. We told them what you know, what where we are now, what we're, kind of what we want to be, what we don't want to be, um, yeah. and sat down and went, did a lot of back and forth on, you know, what size do we want to get to, and as capital comes available, where are we putting it so we're not accidentally putting things in places that we didn't didn't want it. Um, so we have a pretty good plan now of what that looks like, and now um, our next. Next phase is kind of figuring out where's the capital coming from and you know what our time frame is on these things. And that includes more lodging units, that includes splash pad, um, more RV sites, um, a, a pavilion, uh, a, another pavilion. We've got one that will, as we grow, will be more oriented with the pool. And then we will build another one that's, that's independent of that. Um, we just added a food truck for this season. Um, we decided to get into the pizza business and, uh, and that's, that's been, it's been fun learning sort of a new micro business within your business. Um, that's going to come on kind of full guns this year. Um, we've got, um, what else do we have going on? So has there been any thought to like opening another park or acquiring another park? Or yeah, absolutely. Um, I would love to do another park. Um, there's kind of an area that I feel like is underserved in North Carolina. So if I could find a piece of property and the timing um, works out, then I would, I'd really love to, I'd love to build another one in that area. Um, but also that is, there's a lot of work in that and the return on that is not as fast as buying a park that has a, a customer base and, you know, putting, putting a little bit of capital into it and, 
um, running it potentially better than it was run before. I mean, that's yes. right. That's, that's the, that's a heck of a lot easier. So um, might, you know, we'd like to potentially do that, that sort of that model before we built, built another one. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, my partner and I talk about, um, you know, this is a lot of work for one park. So, you know, ideally there's, there's more Emberglows around the kind of Southeast. So do you have enough, uh, of a land footprint right now to do what you want to do eventually at, at Emberglow or is there more land to be purchased adjacent? Yeah, there's, there's a little bit of um, uh, land to be purchased around it. We do have 74 acres to work with. So, um, you know, to their, to their great credit, the environmental design group, we sat down and did a plan on if we were just, just used our 74 acres and not another thing. And then we did another kind of pencil sketch of, if we were able to pick up this 20 acres from this guy and this four acres over here, and what would that look like? So that um, if we put in roads, we were able to pick up that 20 acres. We didn't, again, accidentally put a uh, uh, a cabin at the end of where the road would, should go to connect to that next piece of property um, and yeah. so forth. So um, it was, it was a, it was a lot of fun doing that process. And it was also like a puzzle because every time you think you got it and then you add this another piece to it, that changes these three things and and so on. But yeah, I mean, I think we have enough to expand on what we have, but um, if, if the opportunity came to purchase a couple other pieces around us, we'd, we'd jump on. So one of my favorite questions to ask uh, folks that, that built from scratch is where'd you screw up? What was, what was your biggest mistake along the way? <laughs> yeah. Um, we need another whole show. <laughs> um, you know, uh, Engineering was such a big part of that. And um, I, I think I jumped in faster than I normally normally would have with an engineer because they kind of, they knew the right, they, they knew there was a part that it was a, sort of a weakness for me. I didn't know that part. And then um, not that I was like unbelievably un, unhappy with the engineers we had, but there was a, there was a, there's a lot of engineers that they they're sitting in the office and they're looking at a piece of paper and they're looking at a table map and you know they're drawing it in CAD, send it to you, send the bill. Here's the thing, give this to your contractor to build. And that's that's not really unless you have a flat piece of property with no trees on it and nothing else, like that doesn't really work for a campground. You have to come out. Um, a lot of it is was me working with our grading contractor. Um, walking, walking it, putting little flags in the ground, going, okay, this this makes sense for for the for the road. And once you have the road, like, okay, this would be a great site. Okay, let's leave this tree, skip over here. All this backs up to the creek. We gotta get a site in here. So it'd be like we ended up skipping, skipping maybe where we could have gotten a site in to put a better site in along a creek, um, and where things were put in the woods. Like, what trees do we want to keep there? Um, and kind of using it was a beautiful piece of property. So. We wanted to be able to use that, um, and it, it, it was really hard with engineering. We kept they draw something, and we stick flags in. I'd go back and draw all over their thing and send it back, and be like, "Can you make it? Can you make it do this?" <laughs> and uh, that was a challenge. And then um, they're kind of like with the septic. Um, this was this is the biggest takeaway if you're in North, at least in North Carolina. They they base your each RV site on uh, 
120 gallons a day per site for your septic. And there's, even if you do an engineered, um, an EOP, engineered operator permit, I think it's called, um, engineers aren't, they don't really want to back off those numbers until they have proof. So what someone suggested was to put um, a, a meter, uh, like, I don't know what it's actually called, like a crap meter, <laughs> and see how much is going into your septic. Um, so that you can take it back to them and say, hey, this is this is how much we're using. We're not using 120 gallons a day. We're using X, right? And um, that was both good advice and bad advice. Um, it was expensive to put that meter on, and it, it apparently it corrodes really fast. So we ended up not doing it, which was bad. Um, later, uh, later down the road, someone said you could just put the, the actually the, our engineer said you could just put a water meter on. That would be fine to see how much actual water. Yeah, some's going in the pool, some's going irrigation, but like more or less, you're going to have a number. It was like, I think the meter and the uh, labor all in was like, three thousand dollars and we had it going for about a year and they're like yeah you're using about 35 gallons a day per site that is a big difference between 120 gallons so we had a septic system that was two and a half times the size that we needed um so instead of us having to do another giant septic system for our next um sections we uh, were able to show them that we're using this much. So therefore we can add this many more sites before we have to add another super expensive septic system. Yeah. That was all super valuable things that I could have used four years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then uh, Tim, you're also vice president of the Carolinas Association of RV Parks and Campgrounds. Um, so we just wanted to get a little update before the show ends just on how the association is doing. And, um, you know, what are some challenges that Carolina park owners face, I guess? I know when I talk with Dee, she talks about how they're trying to really push, um, you know, on this eviction type law stuff where they're trying to get rules in place to help you guys be able to get rid of campers who are being unruly, I guess. So That's right. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah. We, I'm a, with the board, we have a lot of things going on. We, um, you, you spoke a little bit about the, uh, the legislation. We've got a few... Um, hot ticket items. The, um, you know, we're trying to get the 1194 adopted, adopted as um, not just a something to, to a guide to go by, but like the sort of letter of the law. Trying to um, uh, that that law about the um, there's like five words that need to change in that um, uh, legislation about tenant eviction. When when officers yeah. show up to get rid of someone, they treat it like a tenant. Um, uh, uh, landlord relationship and it's not so that's in the process of getting changed so if you do have an issue with a long-term guest they you can they can you can make them go um and and then um uh there's a couple other things and it's that that sort of thing is very expensive so on the other end of it we're also trying to like figure out how to you know raise raise the money to pay for lobbyists because that's that's how you do this is you know you you get someone um, in the politician's ear and you orchestrate how this is written and all that stuff. Um, so, you know, another big push that that we're doing is um, uh, we're actually going to send out like a fundraising campaign to not just our members, but all of North and South Carolina and say, hey, we're all in this together. 
if you want to help us row, um, this is going to benefit you. So as we're at the very beginning of, of sort of spearheading that effort. Then um, marketing is a huge, huge part. Um, we just redid uh, the Camping Carolina's website, um, yep. trying to really drive traffic to that. We did the uh, Campers Choice Awards where we pushed um, pushed it out to the different regions, um, what five different uh, uh, categories are uh, of, of campgrounds, you know, best overall, best fam family friendly, unique lodging, stuff like that. And then had voters camp, uh, voters, sorry, campers vote on it. And then we, yeah. we awarded those awards, which was fun to give, uh, you know, give some props to our North and South Carolina campgrounds. Um, obviously the trainings, we do a lot of training, um, vendor discounts. Um, we just really want to make it like beneficial to be part of the association. Uh, we all believe in it and, you know, we're all in, trying to run individual businesses, but if, if there's ways that we can collectively help each other out, then, you know, that just makes sense. So. Has there been a lot of has there been a lot of turnover in ownership in the Carolinas and campgrounds? There has yeah, there's been a number of uh, campgrounds. Um, I'd say the trend we're seeing right now is the mom and pop being bought up by um, either a larger corporation or a company that that's buying multiple parks. So maybe yeah. you know everything from some properties to um, I can't think of one of the names right now, but just sort of more regional. You know they've got three or four and they're looking to expand or you know that sort of thing. So we're seeing that. And um, as far as like membership goes, that's also been a challenge where, you know, folks have been a member of Carvic year over year over year. And then when the park sells, the new members like, what do we need? What do we need an association for it? Or what do you do? So like, that's been like a new, new challenge for us, but also I think we're rising to the challenge and that we've got some great offerings that if we can get, get their ear, then um, the, the value proposition makes sense for them. Does that, you know, you mentioned the corporation, you know, type ownership groups, how that changes the association. Is that part of the reason why you guys have to look at different ways to like raise money for some of the different things that you're, that you want to accomplish because it's, you know, they may not be showing up and doing the auctions like they would have normally. You know, um, I'd say so far, um, I'd say the majority of the ones in North Carolina, North and South, or at least have properties in North Carolina, North and South Carolina have been pretty supportive and um, uh, have, have come to come to conference um, and have engaged in the, you know, the things we're doing. There's um, I was just talking to um, uh, one of the owners of, of uh, uh, one of the kind of larger companies and they're, they're interested, they're, they want to be on the membership committee with me, which yeah. is great, you know? Um, so um I'd say, I'd say the go, no go, the deflection point is whether they join the association or not. If they chose to join the association so far, they've been, they've been engaged, which is great. It's just a matter of, uh, we already have this, but we don't need that. What do you, what do we, what do you provide? Which that, I think that's the, the part that we as the board need to stay relevant and kind of not just stick to our pigeonhole. Like, well, this is what the association has been for, you know, the last you know, 15 years and just keeping our eye open to like, who, who are the members that we want? Who are the members that we're serving now? Um, and how do we stay relevant with all those different, different groups? Yeah. I think the legislative stuff's just really important. I mean, it's so every state almost is uh, dealing with, 
you know, the growth in RV parks, campgrounds, and a lot of local, you know, local officials are dealing with it. And it goes all the way up to the state house sometimes and just keeping your eye on all of that stuff. And um, I mean, I know like uh, out in California, Diana Kelly, she's got her hands full out there. Don Bennett up in, Co- and I know D Whitting, she's got her hands full, two yeah. states there in the Carolinas. So it's not an easy job, but it's an important one. So um, it's also an expensive thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm just yep. going to call, call it like it is, like to get noticed um, and get in the right, um, you know, get to the people that are making the decisions and can make changes. It's, it's not cheap. Like you, you have to have, you know, you have to hire lobbyists and you have to um, show up for things. And, it, you know, and at the end of the, um, at the end of the year, you may have gotten all the way two inches to the finish line and something, something yep. stopped and you spent that money and you got nothing to show for it. And then you got to start all over again next year, which we unfortunately had on one of the issues had that experience this past year. And it was just, it was just crushing for us. And we kind of decided we're like it, <laughs> all that work, all that money and nothing to show for it. But then, you know, and everyone reassured us, well, that's, that's how it works. Two, two things you don't want to be, you don't want to see made it's sausage and politics. <laughs> yep. And I think, uh, I think I know what you're talking about because one of the bills you guys had last year made it all the way to the governor's desk, right? And the governor just declined to sign it. So, yeah, he's like, <laughs> he's like, nope. So, yeah, that would be pretty crushing. So, well, Tim, it was great talking with you. Um, we're gonna yeah, let you go. Thanks for having me. Tackle things at your park, I guess. So, okay. uh, um, uh, thanks everyone for watching, and uh, we look forward to seeing everyone next week. Thank you for listening to WCM's Park Update, a production of Woodall's Campground Magazine. Join us for a new show each Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern on Facebook, YouTube, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Facebook and LinkedIn for daily news and updates, and subscribe to our news feed on our website at woodallscm.com. Show hosts are Ben Quiggle and Mike Gast. Executive producers Rick Kessler and Alex Burkett. Copyright 2022, G&G Media Group.